Jesus, we know as you shine the light into our lives, it comes not to bring shame or condemnation, but to bring light and love and wholeness and restoration. We trust you. We believe that you'll do it. Help our unbelief. We yield to you. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, friends. Welcome to Emmaus Church community. It's great to see you and to worship the Lord with you this morning together. Um, if you need a Bible or a notes page, would you go ahead and raise your hand? We have some ushers that are going to come forward and uh, bring those to you if you need them. All right. Also, if this is your first time with us at Emmaus, it is your lucky day because you get a wonderful roasted uh, bean coffee in a bag ready for you to take right at the information table right over there. Um, so we uh, would love for you to take that, and we hope that you uh, enjoy your experience this morning worshiping the Lord together with us. All right. Very good. Okay. Oh, lastly, on our notes page, there is a section on the bottom that you can tear off, a place for you to put your contact information. Um, if you've been coming but you have new contact information, you can change that and put that in the basket later on. Or if this is your first time, we'd love to get your information to be able to connect with you, uh, to send you a weekly email and to just let you know what's going on in our community. All right. Great. Well, we are starting a new teaching series today that I'm really excited about, and I'm also very excited that the first one that gets to teach and uh, present to our community is Jeremiah Aha. Um, he's been here many times. He's a friend to Emmaus, and we love him. So would you welcome with me Jeremiah this morning? morning. How are you? Doing well? Good. Good. Let's get to it. I am with you this morning as like 60% therapist and 40% preacher. Okay. Throughout the week when I'm not here with you, I don't know how many of you know, but I'm a psychotherapist throughout the week. And so uh, throughout the, that time, I meet with individuals, with couples, whether it be from adolescence all the way to no longer adolescence. Um, and working out some of the things that um, life can bring. So the series we have um, today is called Words We Say to God. Words We Say to God. But really, we're going to begin with looking at our emotions and our feelings. And that's really vulnerable stuff. So we'll start from a broad perspective. Is that okay? And let's just talk about life. You want to talk about life? Let's do, that's kind of safe. Let's start with this question. I need some crowd participation. There's already someone that started that, and that's a good thing. Your favorite meal, favorite meal of all time. I cannot repeat that and say it correctly, I don't think. <laughs> yes, yes. What is it made of? Rice and beans put together. Delicious. Very good. What else? Favorite meal. Could be at a restaurant, could be something someone makes by yourself, could be your favorite flavor of top ramen, whatever you want it to be. 
linguisa, spaghetti, sushi, spaghetti, ba oh, barbecued ribs, very good. What was over here? Pizza, very good. Any meatloaf lovers? No, yes, just one, yes. What was here? Fajitas, very good, very good. Those are all delicious things. How about this? Some other really, really great things about life. Your favorite spot in the entire world. Favorite spot. Could be somewhere in your house or somewhere elsewhere. Where's your favorite spot? Your favorite place in the entire world. Bed. Very good. Thank you for the vulnerability. Thank you. Very good. Where else? The, the beach, Hawaii, the big island of Hawaii. Oh, Kauai. Kauai. There we go. Very good. Where else? couple blocks down the street, is it, can you, you, you open to sharing a little bit more? It's a park. Very good. Very good. What else? Bend, Oregon. And I heard Tahoe, and then I heard the tide pools in Hawaii. Very, very good. Um, one of mine is uh, my bed also. That's also great. Um, but also my mom's house in the middle of nowhere, Arkansas. And it's great. Barely get cell phone coverage. Internet is so slow, and it is wonderful. It is really, really great. We go every Thanksgiving. How about this? Um, your favorite. Let's go with the, the favorite present you've ever received. Favorite gift of all time. A Harley, as in a Harley Davidson motorcycle. Well done. Very good. No one's going to top that. I, I, think, I think you win. Very good. Very good. Anything else? An espresso machine. You get to just say thank you every morning, at, or at least maybe more than that per day, right? Very good. So there's some amazing things about life. There's things like tacos and naps and the beach and the way my Theo Richard smells every time I hug him. It's, it's good. And um, ironing is also great, in my opinion. No one else is with me, but that's okay. That's all right. There's some amazing things about life, and sometimes... Life j just can be described only by saying it's amazing and it looks like this. This is a picture of Bella, my oldest daughter. She's now 11. This may have been um, maybe four years ago or so. We can go to the next slide. We see a picture of what it looks like when life is amazing. Imagine it until it comes on the screen. Just imagine it. We got it. There we go. Life is amazing. And sometimes life feels like this. You're in the air. You're at a park, just like my man over here. Um, you're jumping. Your head's tilted to the side. And it's just, ah! And life is amazing. But, but, not all the time. Not all the time. Sometimes life's like this. This is Lucy, who's actually, um, she was about three years old right here. She's not with us in here. She's alive. She's just over, like, it wasn't that bad of a fall. <laughs> it, looks, it looks bad. But um, she's now six, and sometimes life feels like this. Anybody resonate with that? You're just going along, minding your own business, running down the hill. Actually, let's zoom out, and we can find that this is actually the same picture. The same picture, and I was able to, by the grace of the Lord Jesus, catch it at the exact right moment. Sometimes life feels like Bella in the foreground. It's amazing. And sometimes it's like Lucy in the background, and it's really, really hard. It's really hard. Can we all agree on that? It's really hard when you're a grandparent. It's really hard when um, you're single. It's really hard when you're a kid. 
It's really hard when you're in college. It's really hard when you're retired. Life's hard. We're all trying to figure it out. We're all, this is all the first time we're doing it, I think. Okay? We're trying to figure it out, and it's filled with ups and downs, and that is okay. Because life isn't always like the foreground, and at the same time, life isn't always how it is in the background. There's ups and there's downs, and it can be hard. And we've been given something, a, a range of emotions to navigate all of life. A range of emotions, and there's definitely a range. Some psychologists would estimate that there's 34,000 emotions, which is a lot more than I was thinking. <laughs> and if you have a teenager or a preteen, you know you get to experience 90% of these before lunch with your child, right? 34,000 different emotions. And for some, we try and categorize it into primary emotions, and some psychologists put it into these eight categories. Here we go. We got fear, disgust, happy, and acceptance. On the other side, for the other four, we have anger, the emotion of surprise, of sad, and anticipation, which I feel actually quite often. I'm, I'm usually excited about what's going to come next, but I've learned as an adult that is a real good recipe for disappointment, too, because sometimes it isn't always what I want it to be. So here's these eight primary emotions, and if you're maybe still like, weird, I don't really know, let's go to the next slide. Maybe you're more familiar with these guys. Remember these? What movie is this from? Inside Out, a Pixar film, and clinically speaking, because um, I have a clinical background, um, it's actually not bad. It's a pretty good description of kind of what's happening, and they categorize it into five, and that's sadness, joy, fear, disgust, and anger those five, okay? And probably if we had a lot more time to talk about it, I, I would actually boil it down to just two, and that would be love or fear. I feel like every emotion could be in, underneath or inside one of those silos. But in any event, we're probably most familiar with these right here. And we've, if we're honest with ourselves, we've experienced every single one of these. Maybe we walked in here feeling one of these, and that's okay. You're welcome to this community, and you're welcome to the table. It's okay, but we have all five of these. And what would, what would be in your experience, maybe the way you grew up or even what kind of our culture would tell us, which one is the good emotion out of those? Joy. Anybody agree with that? Yeah, we would say joy is the good emotion. I think you're all right um, in that that's true, but that's also wrong. And I can really kind of bait the trap for you right there. In that, this, emotions aren't good or bad. One time a therapist told me, emotions aren't good or bad. Emotions are. And I kind of leaned in and I was like, did you break? <laughs> like, what, what's the rest of the sentence? He said, emotions, they just are. There's not one that's better or worse than the other. They just are. Now, there's some that are unpleasant, some that aren't very comfortable, aren't very fun to experience, and there's some that are very fun, very enjoyable, very pleasant, but emotions in and of themselves, they just are, and it's okay for us to have every single one of those, even in the span of maybe watching uh, the Kings play basketball. I'm really feeling like joy is going to be this next year, it's going to be it. I really feel like that because I've been on the far right for too long, right? 
How many of us growing up, it wasn't okay to feel some of those emotions? You don't have to raise a hand. But think back when you were growing up, were there some emotions in here that weren't okay to feel? They weren't okay to express. Maybe for some of us, we grew up and some of these emotions were the only ones that we saw. Maybe we only saw one or both of our caregivers, either things were fine or there was explosive anger. And so what can happen for us as people, especially as we're children, as we're growing up, we can feel like it's not safe to express how I feel because it might upset someone. And the story that we've learned or the lesson that we've learned from this is, and if, I, and if people, other people aren't happy, then that's bad news for me, that I get hurt, whether it be emotionally or even physically. And so as we grow up, sometimes we kind of edit ourselves or we kind of hide certain things or we, or we don't disclose with others how we really feel about things. And so we grow up in this kind of handicapped, kind of stunted kind of way emotionally where there's only a few of those we feel comfortable sharing, especially in our faith. Maybe we only feel acceptable coming in one of these particular ways as we approach God. And we feel like, I have to have everything put together, shirt has to be tucked in, everything has to look nice before I can approach God. And what I would say is that's not of Scripture at all. And that's good news. That's very, very good news. All of these emotions, if we said just these five, this is part of the human experience, and it is okay. Anger, in fact, is very okay. Aggression, not so much. That's what we do with that anger, right? Aggression typically can hurt the environment around us or hurt other people. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you have caused that at some point in time in your life. But anger in and of itself is an emotion, and it's okay. If we look through the lens of Scripture, we look at the life of Jesus, we usually, I don't know, this kind of modern-day understanding of Jesus is like he has like golden highlights in his brown hair, just washed from Pantene, just curled at the ends, manicured beard, perfect, you know, white, yellow, brown robe kind of thing, and he's stoic, and he's calm. And for me, anyway, I don't know about you, but for me, when I read Scripture, it's always like two in the afternoon where Jesus is. It's just always like just in the middle of the day and there's birds chirping like on the Disney films and they come and they, just this kind of stuff, right? But there's this one part in Mark I want to highlight just to show us that other emotions are okay. Maybe we've, we've overlooked at times in the past. It's not going to be on the screen, but there's a, there's a passage in Mark 8 where Jesus just got done feeding a lot of people with a little bit of food. Remember this? Sunday school story, he feeds a lot of people with a little bit of food and he crosses over the lake and then the Pharisees or the antagonists or the religious people of the day, those that were in power, approached him and they say, "Um, would you give us a sign from heaven? Just give us a sign. Just give us a sign. And Mark 8, 12, it says in scripture, it says, and Jesus sighed deeply. Jesus went like this. If we look at the Greek, it says a deep groaning or moaning. Jesus did this. Jesus pulled the, I can't even with you guys right now. Oh, my gosh. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? If you're a human being, you've been there. And Jesus does this, and he says, he sighs deeply and says, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Jesus Jesus even goes, oh, Calgon, take me away. 
Remember that one? That's a certain demographic that'll get that one. Yeah? Jesus does this. It's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. We even see through the life of Jesus that he's felt lonely. He's felt forsaken. That he's been hungry, maybe even hangry at times. Okay? It's okay. Every single one of those is all right to have. And oftentimes in our, in our lives, we feel like happy or joy is the only one to experience. We'll walk through three note-takers. You're going to love this. Three happiness myths we're going to walk through as we continue on this words we say to God. Because typically, our words are used to express our emotions. So we're going to continue to kind of stay in emotion land real quick. So three happiness myths. And this is from Harris's book from 2014 called The Happiness Trap. Okay? And he would boil it down to three myths. And the first one is this. Happiness is the natural state of humans. That's funny, isn't it? Have you, have you ever been present when a baby comes into the world? It doesn't begin very happy, does it? It's really like this is the worst moment of my life, and I've only been alive for one moment, right? There's separation from mom, separation from the one that's given you every need that you ever had without even communicating anything. We begin at that point. You've had those teachers, maybe you have a teacher or professor right now, that when you come to the first day of class and say, everybody has an A+. Plus. It's up to you to keep that. Like you begin at A+. Plus. Life doesn't begin at A+, plus, does it? There's ups and there's downs where sometimes it's great and sometimes we're on our face going, how did this happen? Happiness is not the natural state. The natural state's going to depend on maybe the circumstances around us or the choice that we make on the emotion to have, because we do have a choice. Happiness most definitely is not the natural state. We don't begin there. We don't begin there. Hap uh, myth number two, happiness myth number two. If you're not happy, you're broken. Friends, these two lines right here is what the entire marketing industry is built on. If you're not happy, then... Buy this, do this, drive this, wear this, eat this, drink this, on and on and on. Are you with me? If you're not happy, this will make you happy. And Oscar Wilde said, the only thing worse than not getting what you want is getting what you want. You've been there? We've all been a kid at Christmas just wanting like, I really, really want this. I really, really want this. And then we get it. And four days later, it's in the back of our closet. I'm bored. We're perpetually doing that even as adults. I'll be happy when, and then maybe that arrives, and it's still, we're not truly like joyful or content or satisfied. And we're fed this lie that if you're not happy, you're broken, or you should be happy, which especially within therapy, I say it like this, um, it's really dangerous when we should on ourselves. I want to be very clear in how I enunciate that, okay? Because oftentimes when we say, I should be happy or I should feel like this, it's shaming us. Now, now we're shaming us for feeling how we're feeling. It's not helpful. It's even way more unhelpful when we should on our friends or our spouse. Well, you should have known. How, how well does that, the rest of that conversation go? 
Now, there's disappointment, like, hey, I, I prefer this to happen, and it didn't. Can we talk about that? But the you should have known, or he, he should have known I was going to put the blinker on, and I was going to go over there, usually doesn't work out very well. When we think, like, other people should know what it takes for me to be happy, we hold other people enslaved to our own happiness, and that's miserable for everyone because we're dependent on outside circumstances to be happy. If this will just happen, then I'll be happy. You won't. If that's, if that's the way you're going to go about it, okay? So this is a terribly corrosive myth that I hope you're beginning to see, like, yeah, that just not isn't a good game to play. This next one's going to be key for us. This next one's key. Myth number three, and that is this. We must get rid of unpleasant feelings. We must get rid of unpleasant feelings. The thing is, with emotions that are unpleasant, oftentimes we want to avoid them. We want to get away from them. We don't want to experience them. If we pictured emotions, you have that closet or that drawer in your house that you, you just know really needs to be cleaned, but you don't even want to open it up because it's just, oh, my, I got to do this, and then no one's changed the kitty litter in like seven months in there, and I just don't want to, yeah, there we go, gotcha. Some of you are like, oh, has he been to my house? Okay, like you have that, and you don't even want to go there because, because unpleasant, it won't be fun, right? It won't be enjoyable. We have to maybe come face to face with the truth of ourselves. It's like, I've really been overlooking this, really been avoiding this. When we avoid things, Carl Hume said it like this, what we resist persists. What we seek to avoid oftentimes kind of snowballs. It's not so much the psychological pain of this one particular emotion. It's that we're trying to run from that or avoid that or hide from that or, to ex or to accept that. That's what brings about that particular pain. You remember, um, you know those Chinese finger traps? Yeah? What happens when you go like this? It gets tighter, and it's even harder, it's even harder to, to get out of it, right? It kind of reminds me, stay with me now, this is going to get a little, like, weird. Okay, um, I was born in the early 80s, and by that I mean 1980, okay? And when I was a kid growing up, and maybe if you're in that demographic, I was terrified of quicksand. Anybody, anybody with me on that? I was really afraid of quicksand. Come to find out, at almost 40 years old, it actually has very little to do with my day-to-day -day life. <laughs> I've never had to avoid it or to escape it. But when I was like seven, five, you know, nine years old, I was like, this is a really big deal. Like, what if I find this? And what if I'm going to be like the one guy and the horse in the never-ending story, and I can't get out of it? <laughs> and I was scared of quicksand. Stay with me, okay? So what they say about quicksand is if you try and get out of it, just as if like maybe picture someone just for a second, um, drowning, right, and trying to get out of it, us pushing down on the quicksand because of the moisture and the pressure and everything, us pushing down actually pulls you down even further, kind of like the Chinese finger trap, but for the legs, which would be kind of strange, right? Okay, so us fighting against it is what gets us ensnared even more. Think of that quicksand as unpleasant or, or uh, unenjoyable emotions. The more that we fight against it, the more entangled and ensnared it gets us in. Well, how do we get out of quicksand? In case you guys experience it for the rest of this weekend, here's the way to get out of it, okay? The way, and this is serious. The way you get out of it is you, in the same way they talk about, like, if you're in an undertow at the ocean, right? 
you allow yourself just to relax and to accept it. I am in quicksand. And just to relax and to go limp. And what happens is then you're able to roll out of it. You're welcome. Okay? <laughs> the same thing for us emotionally. If we're able to accept it instead of avoid it, we are able to then deal with that particular stuff. And for some of us, I want to validate, some of us have things that we haven't talked about with anyone since it happened. And I'm not advocating we do that in like 10 minutes when someone says, may the peace of the Lord be with you. And you're like, here's the deal. <laughs> Probably not the time, okay? Because sometimes we need to walk with that through a relationship with someone that we really trust. Maybe it's a friend or, or someone in our family. Maybe it's someone here on staff here that you do that with. Maybe it is within a therapist. And that's not me endorsing me. That's just saying maybe it involves doing something like that because trauma and pain and unforgiveness and resentment, especially if we've been holding on to it for so long, it can get pretty complicated and pretty difficult if we begin to open that up. So us avoiding, us hiding and editing actually can bring along um, even feelings of anxiety. It kind of puts us into this fight or flight kind of a state. We have two um, little almond-shaped bits in the back of our head on top of our brainstem. It's called the amygdala, which is a fun word to say. Try it. Amygdala. Amygdala. Okay? The amygdala is, is actually kind of like the fire alarm for our brains. The fire alarm. And fire alarms are helpful when what? When there's a fire. It's actually a great thing to have. And you hope you have that. And you hope that thing is working and it has batteries, right? Yep. Fire alarm isn't so helpful when you're at Chipotle just trying to enjoy your burrito, right? And you don't know why that fire alarm is going off, but it's going off. Maybe it feels like you're tight-chested. Maybe it feels like a headache. Maybe it feels like a stomachache, and that fire alarm is going off. And for whatever reason, and we, that puts us in that fight-or-flight stage, which has kept us alive. In some ways, myth number three this um, avoiding pleasant feelings, we need to avoid those, that has kept us alive. Just like there's certain things that we don't do because it's actually a wiser decision. We don't go into certain parts of town during certain times of day because it's probably not a good idea, right? That's okay. That's all right. But when we avoid some of these unpleasant um, emotions or memories or feelings for a long time, it actually, again, can be entangling and meshing, getting us more stuck in these particular places. And so we hide or we edit, especially as it pertains to our faith. Friends, the restoration of God will only go as far as we allow it to. So again, if we think of our own lives as like a house, and we say, God, I want you to come in and just make everything like new, just make everything restored and reconciled and healed. But we have that one drawer. We're like, don't look in there, though, because I got, like, high school photos and stuff, and I just don't want you to see that. Or we have that one room. Like, we don't need to go into that part of my life because that's really embarrassing. I'm ashamed of that. And I feel like if we, if we look at God's character throughout Scripture, he goes, okay. Well, when you want me to do that, I'm, I'm willing to do that. And one of the ways that we can open the door or we can open the drawer to those particular spots in our room and really show the real us to God is the words that we say to him. 
and how those conversations look. And so this is why it is, it is so crucial for us to dive into the Psalms. And that's what this, uh, this series is going to be doing, to looking at the words that the psalmist says throughout, because there's stories of or, uh, cries for pain and suffering and, and unforgiveness and loneliness and unpleasant emotions that we can see I'm not the only one that has been there. And so I invite you to turn to ch- Psalm chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, or you can launch the app on your phone, or you can look up here on the screen, Psalm chapter 13. And we're going to see some real honest words that the writer of these psalms has spoken. We're going to look at just two this morning. And the writer does not shy away from being very, very honest. And oftentimes it takes us being able to say something out loud for healing to begin. Psalm 13, we'll read the whole thing. We'll start in verse 1. And it says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Four times in those first two verses, we see the question start with what two words? How long? You'll find that in Scripture, especially in the Psalms in the Old Testament, so many more times than the question of why, which is a question that here in our culture and in our time, we ask, maybe many of us in the room ask, God, why is this happening? Why did this happen to them? Why didn't it happen to us? God, why are you doing this in our lives? In the Old Testament, in the Jewish understanding of pain and suffering in the world, it wasn't a question of why, it was a question of how long is this going to happen? We recognize brokenness. We recognize that there's unpleasant things. We recognize there's disappointment in the world. How long is it going to continue, God? How long do I have to wait? It's the psalmist's way of saying, we're headed towards the kingdom. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? God, if you come back, is, is, is it time? Can this be done for right now? Because I'm tired of it. Verse 3, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, for I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. The psalmist is saying, this is a story of why are bad guys always getting the good stuff? Why are the bad guys winning? How come they get to do it? Is that what you want, God? Do you want the bad guys to win so they can say that you're not the real God? Verse 5. But I trust in your unfailing love, and my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. What's interesting is this is the same, same author, same writer. This isn't someone totally it's like, hey, get out of the way, I'm going to finish this. And they write it like, today's a good day, I'm going to write about that. This is the same person. And it isn't until verse 5, it's just like, you know what? I'm going to trust you, though, God. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, it takes verses 1 through 4 of just pouring out our souls, of just getting angry with God, of telling Him what we really, really think and feel for God to be able to open our eyes a bit and say, 
I'm here with you and you can trust me and I'm not going to leave you. Maybe it would do some of us in the room some good if we were able to admit how angry we were with God. When was the last time that happened? You don't have to answer that out loud. When was the last time you really let him have it? Because here's an update. He can, he can handle it. He can handle it. And sometimes opening ourselves up even to those unpleasant emotions and really, really telling the, the real way of how we feel is God's way of connecting with us and saying, I'm here with you and I can begin working on this now. Now that you're honest with me, I can be real here with you. Maybe it takes verses 1 through 4 to get to verse 5 in a figurative kind of way. And we can see verse 1 through 4, the psalmist is resisting, is unaccepting of what's happening. So next time we find ourselves resisting, maybe it's an invitation for us to surrender to the one who has complete control, surrendering to God when this happens. Psalm 6, go back just to the left a little bit in Scripture. And we'll take a look at this as um, Eugene Peterson, uh, the message translation, puts it. This might be a little more familiar to us. Verse 1, please, God, no more yelling, no more trips to the woodshed. It's a certain demographic of people that understand what that means, and I'm okay with that. Treat me nice for a change. I'm so starved for affection. Can't you see I'm black and blue, beat up badly in bones and soul? God, how long will it take for you to let up? This is good. This is good. Break in, God, and break up this fight. If you love me at all, get me out of here. Now, we got an ultimatum now. We got an ultimatum. God, if you are who you say you are, then do something about it. This one time, I'll share real quick. Um, was actually in, in therapy, as I have been on and off throughout life. I think it's a good thing. It's a healthy thing for us. And it was towards the end of session, and I, I can't remember what it was about, but I was just really going for it. And I was really upset about something, and I was just letting it, letting it all hang out. Just, rather than this, and how could they, and my therapist said, well, time's up. This is good. I was like, what do you mean this is good? This is good. Then I left, and I was like, I was upset at him. I was like, what, what are you, hot, hot. and then I realized I had never said any of that stuff before. I was embarrassed even to say it myself, to myself. And it works like that oftentimes in therapy, and it can work like that oftentimes in prayer, where sometimes maybe we just need to say those things out loud for the first time for forgiveness and healing to begin to happen. There are times in session when I talk very little, and letting the person across the room from me, let them hear what they are saying can be healing. So we hear this ultimatum. If you love me at all, get me out of here. I'm no good to you dead, am I? I can't sing in your choir if I'm buried in some tomb. That's a valid point. <laughs> That's a good burn right there. That really is. That really is. I'm tired of all of this. So tired. Catch this. If you've been here, my bed has been floating 40 days and nights on the flood of my tears. My mattress is soaked, soggy with tears. The sockets of my eyes are black holes, nearly blind. I squint and grope. Get out of here, you devil's crew. At last, God, 
has heard my sobs. My requests have all been granted. My prayers are answered. Cowards, my enemies disappear. Disgrace, they turn pale and run. Not all psalms have a happy ending, just as a heads up. But these two actually do, and they begin with some real tough stuff. They begin with the writer pouring out their soul, pouring out all the emotions, especially the unpleasant ones, to God. And saying everything. It would do many of us some good to say anything and everything to God and how we're feeling. And I'm not endorsing a particular kind of language, but I am endorsing a vulnerability and honesty with God that maybe some of us have never had. Because that can unlock God's restoration in our lives. For us to be as real as real as real, maybe no one else would know. And he invites that. And it's not, he's not going to withhold his affection. Maybe you grew up in a place where you couldn't do that. He's a father like none other, and he wants us to do that. By the hand of Paul, we'll end with this. Romans 8 tells us that there is nothing, no nothing, no nothing, not even the word that we say to God that can separate us from his love. He writes, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, which includes the words that we say to him. What did God use to create the world? What did he use? He used words. Words with his paintbrush. Maybe he invites us to create, to recreate with him some of the broken places in our lives. Nor anything else in all creation. Nothing we can say to God, brothers and sisters, nothing we can say to him will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's willing and he's waiting to hear whatever you have to say to him. He wants to hear it. It might be best for you to be alone, especially if you need to really let it go, but he wants to hear it. If you need to have someone walking with you to do that, I find someone nearby, so find someone you trust to do that if there's some pain that you're walking through that sometimes is a part of life. But the words that we say to him can open the door for all of the restoration in our lives. Let's pray. God, you use words to create. In the midst of chaos, Genesis tells us that the world was formless and void and there was chaos and it was a big mess, but the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. You were there in the midst of the pain and the mess and the disorganization and the chaos. You were there, God. And with words, you created. You gave structure, you gave balance, you gave order, and you put things into the right place. So God, for your sons and daughters in this room that maybe for many, many valid reasons haven't taken the opportunity to say everything that we think and feel to you, would you lean closer to them this morning and tell them that you're here, that you're willing and waiting to hear anything they have to say, no matter what it might be. So as we journey through the Psalms throughout this summer, would you help us to become um, familiar and find it a safe place for those, those of us before us 
has experienced some of these same unpleasant things, that have gone through pain, that have gone through suffering, that have gone through loss, that have gone through frustration. Thank you for these words as it gives us light for the road ahead. May we enter into them fully and honestly. In Christ's name, amen. And would you stand with me? So if we were in a play...